Grab a bowl of conch salad, take a sip of a gumbe smash, and listen closely, because the Bahamas is in all sunshine. This is the dark side of paradise. Each episode, you'll hear the retelling of true crime stories and folk tales from the Bahamas. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Our goal is to shed a light on the stories from the Bahamas and to ensure they aren't forgotten or lost to history. We do our best to research each story and to honor the subjects we discuss. Episode 4, A Community Under Siege Because of the time period of this next episode, very little information exists about this story and the victims. We did our best to investigate and to provide you with the facts that were available. On May 20th, 1964, an area of South Nassau in the Bahamas was terrorized by the country's first spree killer. By the time his rampage was complete, he would be responsible for numerous deaths and injuries on the island. To understand what led to the numerous crimes on that dark night, we need to go back one week before the events unfolded. A couple named Reuben and Eloise Roll lived in an area of Nassau known as Over the Hill, an area of low-income houses and shanties at the time that was first settled by former slaves during the days of piracy. Reuben and his wife Eloise were going through a rough patch. The two argued endlessly and tensions were high enough that Eloise packed her things and moved out to live with her sister Winifred Ferguson, not far away from the home that she had shared with Reuben. His marriage was falling apart and he was left feeling wounded and angry. Reuben was unwilling to accept that his wife could have a life beyond their marriage, a life without him. The sun had set and Reuben was stewing over being left by his wife and drove to Broom Street where Eloise was now living with her sister Winifred. He parked the car he was driving on the side of the street and approached the home under the cover of darkness. As he approached the house, he began calling out to his wife Eloise, who was inside the home with her sister Winifred. Moments later, she walked out of the house to speak with Reuben and she approached him most likely expecting that he wanted to talk to her about coming back home. What she didn't notice held at his side was the 16-gauge shotgun, and once Eloise was in range, Reuben aimed it directly at her, and as she attempted to turn and run for her life, he fired three shots at Eloise, hitting her multiple times. She fell to the ground, dying instantly. The loud bangs of the shotgun rang out throughout the close quarters community, and neighbors, including Eloise's sister Winifred, came out of their homes, witnessing the woman, her sister, lying motionless in a pool of her own blood. Winifred instinctually ran to her sister's aid and fell to her knees next to Eloise, who lay there dead, and looking down at her face, she knew it was too late to save her. Eloise was already gone. When she looked up, she would see the barrel of Reuben's shotgun aimed directly at her, and with the squeeze of his finger on the trigger, he fired at Winifred, sending her hurtling backwards from the force of the shot. Winifred was injured, but not dead. She hung to life. The shots fired also hit a neighbor named Eric Strawn, who was standing outside of his home during the time and was hit by one of the bullets, which killed him instantly. Reuben Roll then calmly re-entered the vehicle and drove away. He drove throughout the neighborhood and came upon a group of people standing outside of a local bar. He exited the car, approaching the group from the side with the loaded 16-gauge shotgun in hand and began firing at them. One man that was shot was named William Fernandez, who was hit in the head from one of Reuben's bullets while selling ice cream in the neighborhood that evening. He died just two hours later, succumbing to his wounds at the Princess Margaret Hospital. Reuben then turned his gun towards anyone in sight, 
firing on them without prejudice as he shot and killed two more men. Their names were Bursal Fowler, who died on the scene, and Lodum Woodside, who died two days later in the hospital. Another man named Ivan Hanna was also hit, but luckily survived. A family of five, Rudolf Sweeting, Ulrich Sweeting, Francis Sweeting, Carlton Sweeting, 14, and Betty Sweeting, 2 years old, were walking along the sidewalk at the moment and had little or no time to react before Roll opened fire. People were running and screaming in the streets as Roll continued shooting. The Sweetings tried to run, but next to be hit was 14-year-old Carlton Sweeting, who died on the scene from his wounds. Also hit was 2-year-old Betty Sweeting. A bystander named Alfred Glinton was standing outside of his home across the street from the Havoc and witnessed the massacre. He helplessly watched as both 14-year-old Carlton Sweeting and 2-year-old Betty Sweeting were hit. Once it was safe to come out, Alfred Glinton watched Roll drive away before rushing over to those that were left bloodied and screaming in agony from their wounds. The deaths of those murdered in cold blood and the injuries of those afflicted were shocking, but Glinton acted quickly and loaded as many as he could into his vehicle, driving them to the nearby Princess Margaret Hospital, an act that most likely resulted in more of their lives being saved. But unfortunately for Alfred Glinton, hearing the cries and seeing the carnage inflicted, including witnessing the shooting of such a young boy and girl, was too much for the man to take, and he died of a massive heart attack, still outside in his car, just as he had delivered them all safely to the hospital. Two-year-old Betty Sweeting survived her injuries thanks to Alfred Glinton. Had he not been there, it's very possible she would not have made it. It was 1964, and there were no cell phones or social media to speak of and the ability to share information with those that were in danger was non-existent, and police were overwhelmed with calls from frightened people seeking information or medical assistance. Ruben Roll was able to terrorize a community unimpeded by law enforcement who took far too long to respond to the initial reports and whose presence was sparse in one of the poorest parts of the island. By the time the police had any idea what was going on in the community, Multiple people, including young children, had already been killed, and others were taken to hospital with minor or life-threatening wounds. When the police did arrive on the scene, they didn't waste any time sectioning off parts of the area, creating a nearly two-mile-wide blockade they hoped would trap roll. The police response was delayed due to the fact that not only were there numerous injuries, but there were also conflicting reports from eyewitnesses that made it much harder for police to pinpoint their suspect. Police Commissioner Nigel Morris oversaw the search for Reuben Roll throughout the area and the investigations into the attacks that spanned an entire community. When asked about theories into Roll's motives, the Commissioner of the Royal Bahamas Police Force pointed to the fact that his wife had recently left him and that she was the first one he decided to kill. His colleague, Chief of the Criminal Investigation Department, Stanley Moore, described the crime scene as the worst thing he had experienced since joining the department. The acts perpetrated against those killed and injured were senseless acts of violence, and those afflicted were innocent, undeserving of the fates they received. With the streets closed off, Reuben Roll knew his time was running out and was left with just one option. And while police actively searched for his whereabouts to no avail, he was somehow able to evade capture by the police and their blockades and easily returned to his home not far from where the night began. With the very same weapon he used to murder his wife, members of his own community, and an innocent child, he loaded it one more time. With more reports from eyewitnesses and the victims, the police were narrowing in on their assailant. But would they arrive in time? 
The police eventually arrived at the home of Reuben Roll, and the officers found Reuben sitting at a table, slumped over, holding his shotgun with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the chest. He died a coward, leaving behind no note explaining his actions and escaping prosecution through death. He would be remembered only by the vile and heinous actions he inflicted. At the end of his rampage, seven people were dead and six were injured, making Reuben Roll the very first spree killer in Bahamian history. He felt betrayed by his wife Eloise and directed his anger not only towards her, but anyone that happened to be in his path that night. He inexcusably ended the lives of so many who didn't deserve to have their time cut short. A truly sad end for those who lost their lives and the only true justice being that those who were lucky enough to survive outlived Reuben Roll, who committed suicide denying himself the very gift he so carelessly stole from others, the gift of life. Eloise's sister Winifred Ferguson thankfully survived her injuries, not letting the travesty that afflicted her family define her and she went on to live a long and full life after the ordeal. Two-year-old Betty Sweeting recovered from her injuries, but she, like the others, were left with scars that were not just physical, but emotional, that would never truly heal. A gaping hole was left in the hearts of the Sweeting family for their beloved Carlton, whose memory would be cherished and remembered by those who loved him. Alfred Glinton, the Good Samaritan who suffered a massive heart attack outside of the hospital after coming to the aid of the Sweeting family and others, should not be forgotten. Had he not been subjected to the horrific scene left behind by Reuben Roll, he probably would have not died at all. He was a hero and his bravery reflected that. We honor all of the lives lost and hope that those affected have found some semblance of peace. As always, you can learn more about us on our website and subscribe to our newsletter for notifications on new episodes at www.thedarksideofparadise.com. We're new to the scene, but we're always working hard to improve what we do for you, editing and tweaking our methods so that we can provide a more entertaining and informative podcast each time you tune in. I'm your host, Stephen Fountain. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's not always sunny in the Bahamas.